Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. I want you to notice that the alcoves are lit up today. See the alcoves lit up? That's not going to be a normal thing. They're lit up for a purpose. Yesterday, we had an awesome prayer meeting uh, here at the church. And uh, we, had al- we had alcoves designated to different things to pray for. And we came together as a church and we, we, did, um, we did Thanksgiving. We started out with Thanksgiving and confession. And then we went into different, he's like, Pastor, you're really getting Catholic. The Stations of the Cross and everything. No. Uh, and we went to the different sections and we just pray- We had uh, directed prayer things on a, on a piece of paper that you could go and just pray over and man, what a nice, what a, what a, a wonderful morning. I felt like it was just awesome. So um, as we continue to explore how we can make those, those prayer meetings once a month uh, interactive and exciting, one of the things that was cool about it is that when you were done praying for Thanksgiving, we'd have you write at least one thing that you were thankful for and we'd stick it on a cross. Thank you, God. And we put it up. Uh, over here, we had praying for the lost, and we said, don't just pray for the lost in general. Think of one person that God would, and pray that God would open up doors and give you the power of the Holy Spirit to share and, and write that person's name, first name, first name on a, on a post-it and stick it up on the wall. Just very interactive. And as we keep doing that um, in weeks and months to come in different ways and forms, I'd encourage you to get involved. A church that prays together, the enemy is going to shake in his boots. God can do something when the church prays. Okay, so that's my little, my little uh, promo for prayer meetings. You know, it's so hard as a pastor because you know that prayer is the most important thing in a church, and it's the hardest event to get people to come out to. I don't know why. I think it's an enemy. The enemy knows that prayer changes things, and he just puts a ton of stuff in people's paths. And I get it, but, uh, man, if we could be a church that prays together, I really feel like God would do something. Um, extra, extraordinary, extraordinary. Oh, what's that called? A miracle. Right? Today we're talking about Samson. Now, in this Heroes of Faith, Samson is a cautionary tale. We did a whole series on Samson just recently, so I don't want to rehash what we talked about in that series, but I want to take it to a different place. Okay? Um, so let's just do it over the big idea. Something to be mulling in your mind as we talk today. No matter who you are, or how long you've been walking with the Lord, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. If you play with fire, you are going to get burned. And we're going to kind of unpack that whole concept throughout today's message. The story of Samson comprises four chapters in the book of Judges, Judges 13 through 16. And it's about a Messiah-type figure, both, uh, born to a barren woman. See, see the pattern of that over the scriptures? There's the, these, these signs that someone's uh, going to be special and important. And a lot of times it comes through a woman who has had, naturally has had a hard time having children. It's just an interesting note. I don't know why that all is, but it's interesting. Now, he was a Nazarite from birth. Now, what does that mean? It means that he was set apart as holy for a purpose. He was set apart from before he was born 
for a purpose. Okay, he, took a, he was a Nazarite from birth. He was to lead the people of Israel as a judge. Now, the story of Samson is found in the book of Judges. And what do we know about the book of Judges from our Ruth talk? Judges was, Judges was a period where people did what was right in their own eyes. So that's going to play into this quite a bit. He was to redeem Israel out of the hand of the Philistine overlords through military conquest. That was one of his purposes, a judge and a military leader. Now, I think it's fascinating that God used 25% of the book of Judges to portray a, the warning of Samson's life to us. You might think, how does that have anything to do with me? I was not set apart from a child. I am not a Nazarite. I am not uh, a judge, and I am not a military leader. How can Samson's life inform me? Well, interestingly enough, as we cringe at Samson's story, we need to remember 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this. Whoa. These things took place as examples for us so that we, we will not desire evil things as they did. These things are for us so that we might have an example. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. These things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our instruction on whom the ends of the age have come. That's us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says so whatever things he stands, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Pride goes before destruction. If you think you can't be lied to, if you think you can't be deceived, if you think you can't be drawn away, if you, can't, if you think you can play with fire and not get burned by it, be careful that you not, you not fall. Samson may well have been the strongest man who ever lived, but sadly he proved one of the weaknesses when it came to self-control. Am I the only person who has some, some struggles with self-control? Oh, okay, apparently I am. You can all leave. Somebody grab me a mirror, I'll preach this thing at me. Yeah, I mean, from our, from, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but I love food. You ever heard that before? I've never said that before. I like cake. Anybody love cake? I love cake. And I could eat a whole cake. Ah, maybe not a whole. That's gross. Yeah, that's nasty. Not a whole cake. But I could eat a lot of cake. I like food. It's one of those struggles I've always had. Like, I just got to be careful how much I eat. And my kids will say, you're not very careful. I've seen you. But we all have our own struggles. There's other things in our lives that we struggle with self-control sometimes. Proverbs 26, I mean, excuse me, Proverbs 6, 27 says, Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not get burned? Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not get burned? This statement echoed by a common parable in the modern English, which is if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. We've all heard that. In the same way, those who dabble in sin don't need to wonder if there will be consequences. Only when and how drastic they will be. Well, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I know this is for you too. 
Samson was a Nazarite, and he didn't escape the flames of some of his bad decisions. So here's a little backstory. Samson, again, came to a, uh, was born to a woman who previously had a hard time having children, and an angel came to them and said, you're going to have this boy. This boy is going to be a Nazarite. What does that mean? He's going to be set apart as a holy person for God's purpose. What has to happen? Well, he can't, a Nazarite vow is you can't cut your hair, you can't touch a dead body or anything dead, and you can't drink anything that comes from the vine, such as grape juice and wine and those types of things. Those are things. And, and a normal Nazarite vow would be for a period of time, you would take that vow um, for a year or something like that, or two years, uh, adults would do this, and they wouldn't cut their hair for that period of time, and they wouldn't touch anything. They, wouldn't, they were not even allowed to go to a family member's funeral if that were to happen. They had to be that. So it was, but it was for a purpose, and the whole point was that they would not make themselves unclean in any way ceremonially so that they could be close to God at any time, any place, anywhere. That was the point of the Nazarite vow. Well, Samson's different. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth. So the angel comes, tells them, and they're like, oh, great, awesome. What do we do with this kid? Like, I, just told, I just told you, don't let him do these things. He's going to be great. And uh, so then we get to the end of the first part of that and look at Judges chapter 13. And it says this, verse 24. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. Then the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in the camp of Dan. I love that part. As a young person, he was blessed. He had all these blessings. And even as a young person, the Lord began to stir in him. I think about Chris. I think about youth convention that's coming up soon. Man, that's what I want from youth convention. I want these something. I don't want them just to go have a good time. I know you're going to do that. It's going to be awesome. They're going to have games. They're going to have, you know, concerts and the whole deal. But what I want is them to meet with God and God begin to stir in, the, in them something. Something. And Samson had this moment. He had that youth convention moment where God began to stir in him something in the camp of Dan. But, and I hate, and the, the, the story of Samson is all around the but. <laughs> From a child, he knew something was up, but he didn't follow through. Look at the very first verse of the very next chapter. It says this, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. Verse 3, Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. What did the book of Judges? They did what was right. In their own eyes. I'm going to tell you today that Samson took his eye off the ball. He thought he could hold fire to his chest and not burn his clothes. He thought he could play with fire and not get burned. I ask again, is it possible? Proverbs 6, a man to embrace fire and not get burned. It's rhetorical. The answer is no. Can't do it. All right, so I want to talk about three flames today. This is a last week was all over the place, graphs and charts, and it was it was an This one's simple. It's a three-point sermon, and they all begin with C. 
Okay, right? Boom, boom, boom. First flame. We've got to be careful that we don't hold this flame to our chests, right? The flame of covetousness. Covetousness. What did Samson do? He went and he saw something that he wanted that he didn't have. And something about this woman from, from the enemy camp got him all stirred up. Uh-huh. I don't know. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? The, the bad girl? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? The dangerous guy? Something about that. I think it plays to our sinful nature. But what is this about? The, the, the idea of looking at something that you don't have and feeling like you need it. That's the concept of covetousness. He, uh, Exodus, it's in the Ten Commandments even. Exodus 20, 17. Do not be, covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 1 Timothy 6, 10 says this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This concept of always, and I'm telling you right now, the Ten Commandments ends with covetousness. And I believe our Western culture begins where the Ten Commandments end. We are such a consumer culture. we got to have the next best thing. we got to have, if so-and-so next door has this, what do I got to do to up that? And that's not new. That's always been there. It was back in the Ten Commandments. But I feel like our culture is very much in the, the throes and the grips of that flame. Why is the sin of covetousness so dangerous? Why is it in the Ten of ten Commandments he chose to use one of those ten to address this issue. So I think this, why is it so dangerous? You could begin to despise God's blessing on your own life. When you look around and you see what all the blessings, quote unquote blessings that other people have, you begin to despise what God's done for you. Instead of being grateful and thankful for what you have, you start comparing your blessing with other people's blessing, and that causes you to despise what God has done for you. That's sad. Isn't that sad? You could be consumed with what you don't have rather than to be excited about what you do have, and you'll miss the blessing of what you do have. You can despise God's blessing because you are only interested in the next set of blessings. Think about that. I despise the blessing. I know you would never say that, but it's something that we act out. I'm, I'm beginning to despise the blessing that I have because I'm always looking at the next blessing that God can give. And then God becomes this genie in a bottle type figure rather than our Lord and King. All right, God. I'm only on wish. I've only, I only gotten blessing number one, wish number one. Where's the next one coming? And we try to treat God like he's some kind of a, uh, you know, grocery delivery man. He's not your Uber Eats guy. 
Number two, the thing that makes this so significant is you can end up never satisfied. Think about that for a second. If you're always looking at the next blessing to satisfy, once you get that blessing, what happens? You're not satisfied anymore, right? One of the definitions of covetous is an inordinate desire to get more. An inordinate desire to get more. The problem with this is that you can end up never satisfied with what you have. There's a story of a, a young man who came from, he's actually my, my uh, brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is Venezuelan, lived in Venezuela for many, many years. Uh, all the time he grew up, he met my sister-in-law, Lisa's sister, um, when she was a missionary in Venezuela. They met, together, they met there, and they got married, and he got his citizenship here just recently. It's been, it was an awesome thing. Went through all, had to jump through all the hoops and do all the studies. and all, It was a real, real exciting time. But one of the things that like, hit Jose across the head was our grocery stores. I mean, when's the last time you went to the grocery store and were like, man, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Look at me. No, you're always annoyed that they don't have this or they don't have that or the cashier is checking out too slow. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we're always annoyed at the grocery store. It's not, I mean, how people like grocery shopping? Anybody like grocery shopping? You're weird. Get out. <laughs> I was like, I, I like it. Psycho. No. Uh, I hate grocery. I hate it. I don't do it very often. Thank the Lord. And we've tried to find every trick of the trade to have them put it in the back of our car. You know, just don't want to go in. But he was, he was like a kid in a candy shop when he first came over. He was like, you guys got everything. You have all the stuff around the outside, the healthy stuff, and then you got all the good stuff on the inside. No, uh, then you got, all, you got so much stuff. He's blown away. And that's just one part of the blessings that you and I enjoy to the point of disdain. You gotta be careful. I'm not saying you should go like skipping through your grocery store next time. I'm just saying, look around. Sometimes we're so affected by what we don't have that we despise the blessings that we do have. It's amazing. It's amazing. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, the Pastor Dave version of this, the PDV. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, I would say... Whoever loves stuff will never have enough. It rhymes, so write it down. Whoever loves stuff will never have enough. The PDB version. There is an old quote that I love. It's this. I asked God to give me all the things so I can enjoy life. And God said, I will give you life so you can enjoy all things. Covetousness. The flame, you can't hold that to your chest and not get burned by it. You just can't. Number two, the flame of bad company. I know I had to throw the B in there. kind of throws off the, 
the sea thing, but just go with it. Company. Bad company. You can't hold the flame of bad company to your chest and not get burned. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Drop the mic. Kids, look at me. Bad company will corrupt good morals, period. You cannot get around it. There is a reason why God says in his holy scriptures, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You cannot win that battle. And that's talking about marriage, that's talking about business, that's talking about be careful. You will get burned by it. This is true more than ever before. This is true today more than ever before because our pool of companionship has grown exponentially. Think about it. How many Facebook friends do you have? Now, those aren't real friends. Let's get over that. I dropped off Facebook about four months ago, and I haven't had one friend IM me saying, where are you? I miss you. I miss your pithy statements. Nobody. Not even you guys. That's fine with me. Here's the deal. We've expanded our pool of influence. You know, what do they call it when somebody is a, uh, a, a big name in culture today? They're called influencers. Now, I'm not picking on, on, on technology. That's, well, that's another sermon for another day. But I am saying is we've opened ourselves up to a lot more influence than we ever had before. Back in the day, when things were perfect in the world. No. You know what people say, that back in the day. You know, back when everything was good, when you were walking uphill both ways to school in a snowstorm. And your kids had it so good. No, but seriously, back in the day, who were your major spheres of influence? Your community, the tight-knit community. You didn't go much farther. You might go to grandma's house every once in a while, but I mean, you really kind of in your school, your home, your family. Church was the, what, even, even in secular culture, church still had an influence point in people's lives culturally. I mean, it was just, it was just much, much smaller, right? Can we, can we all agree on that? It's not like a weird thing to say. But now we've opened ourselves up to a lot more, okay? So let me ask you a couple questions. Who do you spend time with? Now, I'm not just talking about, like, you know, who you had coffee with this week, or, but who do, you, who do you spend time with? Who are the influencers that are showing up on your pages that you are allowing to influence you? Because they will. You can't hold fire to your chest and not get burned by it. The adverse is true, too. You can't hold blessing close to you and not be blessed by it. So who are you hanging out with? Who are you letting influence you? What kind of company are you keeping? Social media, movies, TV shows, podcasts, news media, books. Well, yeah, what's a book? No, books and music, too. What are you allowing in your life? What are you, who are you hanging out with? Multi-millionaire Dan Penny is, a, is quoted as saying this, Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And this was a, he's a businessman, and he said, if you want to be successful in business, you've got to surround yourself with good business people. But I think it has a spiritual 
connotation too. It has a life connotation. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Kids, listen to me. Be careful who you let into your sphere. Vet them. Don't just let anybody into, to, to, into your life to influence you. Be careful. We've opened that door. Throughout his life, Samson repeatedly exposed himself to the enemy culture. Could that be said of us today? We're Christians. Now, please, I'm not one of those pastors who's an isolationist. I'm not. I think the church, we are the church, and the church is for the world. So we can't just cloister inside this building. No, that's not a problem. I'm saying, who are you letting influence you? We've got to be careful. Samson all absorbed the enemy culture all of his life. He, was mar- he married a Philistine woman in chapter 14. He spent much of his time in Philistine territories, visiting a prostitute in Gaza at the beginning of chapter 16. See, see how that compromise very quickly went downhill? Becoming entangled with Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorak at the, edge, at the end of 16. He's also a Philistine territory. The entanglement would eventually lead to his death. His entanglements with the enemy, his influences on his life, eventually led to his demise. And I would say, again, his proximity to sin dominated his path. I'm not saying you can't be in, in the world. Just don't be of the world. That's what the Bible says. But our constant proximity to the enemy camp can hurt our path. Does that make sense? You getting me on that one? It can dominate our path like Samson. As believers, we can think that we, are, uh, we can dabble and play around with sin and won't but burn. See, think of this. If it's on our... God, how do I say this? If our eternity is secure in Christ as Christians, right, we have nothing you can do to gain salvation. It's, it's secured in the person of Jesus Christ. You accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You put your faith in him. And, and he, he carries you to the point of salvation. But let me, let me just say this. It's not God's job to save you from every fire you've raised to your chest. It's not. He didn't, help, he didn't save Samson from every fire he embraced to his chest. You're going to get burned by it. Even as a believer, we have to be careful what fires we're holding on to. That doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean you're, you know, you, uh, some Christian cultures, the second you make a you sin, you fall off the wagon and you're hellbound again. I don't believe that. I believe my salvation is secure in Jesus Christ because I didn't do anything to earn it. Therefore, my actions can't make me lose it either. Romans 6, 1 through 12 says this. What should we say then? This is the answer to this very question. Should we continue to sin so that grace may abound, may multiply? No. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin, still live in it. He's like, because you're, 
we can't just say, because my salvation is secured in Christ, therefore it gives me license to do anything I want to do. Why does he say that? First off, it's not pleasing to God, which is our ultimate goal of, of a believer, right? And secondly, you're going to get burned by it. Maybe not the, hell, the flames of hell, but you're going to get burned by it. Does that make sense? God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for you. Ephesians 5. Take no part in and have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds and enterprises of darkness. Now, this is out of the Amplified Bible, so it's going to be way longer than what's in your Bibles. But instead, let your lives be so in contrast as to expose and reprove and convict them. When the world comes up against us, it should say, Something's different. That's not like everything I've come into contact with. Verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of or mention the things that such people practice in secret. I have a feeling that instead of not talking about it, we're actually bringing some of this stuff into our homes digitally. Listen, it's as much of a sermon to me as to you. We have to be careful, vigilant. Because we can't think we're not going to get burned by it. Verse 13. But when anything is exposed and reproved by the light, it is made visible and clear. And where everything is visible and clear, there is light. Therefore, he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you and give you the light. Give you light. That's exciting. Third flame is this flame of complacency. Complacency. And I want to continue that verse in Ephesians because this really speaks to it. Verse 15 keeps going. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully how you walk. Don't be complacent. Look carefully how you walk. Live purposefully. I like that. Live purposefully and Worthly and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. You can't live that way and be a complacent person. What am I saying? Don't get lazy. (laughs) The devil loves to get us lazy. James 1, 14 through 15 Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Listen, you got those in you. I'm just, if you didn't know that, you got them. We are a depraved humanity. You've got some larceny rolling around in there somewhere. You got some bad stuff in you. And the Holy Spirit has come and saved you from that. Thank the Lord. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ has saved you from that. But what I'm saying is this. I'm trying to say what the scripture's saying. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away by his, enticed by his own desires. And if we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, if we're complacent to that, there's a progression here. And this goes into verse 15. Then after desires, uh, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, 
it gives birth to death. See, it's a progression. It's being lazy about the things that are around us that are trying to pull us away from the things of God. That's why he says, don't be complacent. Be wise. Be vigilant. We must not allow ourselves to be complacent when it comes to the world we are living in. One thing leads to another. Can, can we all agree that we, we fall down, not up? Do you, let me explain that. Obviously, that's making a statement. But we don't fall up. You don't all of a sudden, like, fall into good eating habits. You don't all of a sudden fall into, like, a good sleep schedule. I'll I'll get you even even more uh, zinger here. We don't fall into good devotional practices. Like, wow, I woke up this morning and I read my Bible. I didn't even know what happened. I've been doing this for a month now. I just fell up. We don't do that. We fall back. Vigilance is necessary to keep us from falling back. That's the natural tendency of humans. Okay? Most people don't destroy their lives in a moment. It is one compromised moral decision at a time. One complacent second look. You'll see what I mean by second look. That leads down a path to lust, then adultery, divorce, and a broken family. It's, it's keeping that, guys, I understand you're guys. And if you can't recognize what an attractive woman is, then I'm sorry. But it's the second look that leads you down the path. See what I'm saying? I, I think we, we do this, you know. Ladies, cover your ears for a second. You don't need to hear this. Uh, guys, we, are, we recognize beauty, and we go, and then we go, that's the second look. We've got to be careful, guys. We're very visual. We've got to be careful about the second look because that second look, not checked, can lead down a path that we don't want to get down. We've got to be vigilant. You know, Pastor, that's ridiculous. That's not a big deal. Talk to that to the... The guy who had gotten Donald Road. You can't entertain sin. You can't hold a flame to your chest and not be burned by it. It may not happen in an instant. I was researching this way because this thing today, and this past week I was researching firewalkers. Anybody ever see a fire, somebody walk on coals? Have you done it? Sinner! No, no, because <laughs> we're going to get to that. <laughs> so one of the things that happens is that um, you can, if you walk on coals, uh, coal is a very bad conduit of heat. So your feet can withstand it if you keep moving. But the second you stop, bad. you didn't stop, did you? Okay, good. She wouldn't be, she'd be peeling her skin off her feet. Um, the idea is this. If we are not careful and we don't move away and move on from sin, we're going to get, so we've got to be careful that we don't hold these things to our chest. Okay. How about this one? You don't get put in jail for embezzling because one day you woke up and thought you would defraud a company for a million dollars and get away with it. You didn't do that one day. It was a decibel point move. 
the first time because I needed a little extra cash because time was tough, a compromise of morals. And then down the road, you're like, you know, Bernie Madoff. It starts with little complacent compromises. Distraction and overstimulation have become the main weapon in our adversary's arsenal in this day and age. Distraction and overstimulation. If he can keep you scrolling and clicking, keep you streaming and binging, tweeting and liking, after a while you'll look up and you didn't even know how you got where you are. My wife and I have said we will not have a TV or a computer in our kids' rooms. That's a decision we made. Why? Because we know that if there's not an accountability thing there, they can get down a path that they didn't even, they never wanted to go down that path, but they, they wake up from their glaze of blue light and they're on a site that they never should have been on and they don't even know how they got there. And now it's damaged their, they've held a fire to their chest and it's hurt them, burned them. Contained. We have to be vigilant. Parents, for your kids, and adults for ourselves, too. Nicholas Carr, author of The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, that's the name of the book, The Shallows, is quoted as saying this. Immersing myself in a book or a lengthy article used to be easy. My mind would get caught up in the narrative or the tones of the argument, and I'd spend hours strolling through long stretches of prose. That's rarely the case anymore. Now my concentration often starts to drift after two or three pages. I get fidgety, lose the thread, begin looking for something else to do. I feel as if I'm always dragging my wayward brain back to the text. The deep reading that used to come naturally has become a struggle. Carr is describing a phenomenon that has been called, has become to know CPA, not the accounting thing. It's CPA, continuous partial attention. It's a phrase coined by the ex-Apple and Microsoft consultant, Linda Stone. And she says this, by adopting an always-on, anywhere, anytime, anyplace behavior, we exist in a constant state of alertness that scans the world but never really gives our full attention to anything. What does that look like? It looks like complacency. We're scanning the world, but we're not giving our full attention to anything. In the short term, we, adopt, we adapt well to those demands. But in the long term, the stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, create a physiological hyper-alert hyper state that is always scanning for stimuli, provoking a sense of addiction temporarily assuaged by checking in. I posted a picture. Did anybody like it? I gotta get that cortisol. I gotta get that adrenaline fix. What am I saying? I, am, I, I actually am not coming down on, me, uh, on, on technology. What I am saying is social media, media in general, is a tool for us to use, but it's also being hijacked by the enemy to use against us. If he can get us distracted and complacent, 
we, he has got us right where he wants us. Past generations didn't have that. Sakara is talking about not being able to focus on a simple novel or an article. He's, he's upset that he can't focus on a simple novel or an article for more than three pages. Imagine how much harder it is to keep focus in this day and age while trying to read Scripture. He's having a hard time focusing on something the enemy could care less about. Now take it to the next level and, and try to focus on Scripture that the enemy desperately wants to keep you away from and find how, how hard that is. We've got to be careful and we've got to be vigilant. We cannot be complacent. Isaiah 26, 3. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind, both inclination and character, is stayed on you because he commands himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. We've got to be vigilant about the companions we're keeping, about the complacency that we have in our world. Because no matter who you are, the strongest man in the world, or just regular old me, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Remember we talked, to, I think it was last week, Noah, yeah, last week, how God doesn't need you to fight his battles for him, right? He doesn't want foot soldiers, he wants children. He doesn't need you to fight his battles for you. What happened in Samson's life? He, he, he was victorious. That's why he's on the hero list. God used him and God accomplished his goal through him, but he got burned in the process. God did his work through Samson in spite of Samson, not through Samson. I don't want that. I don't want my legacy to be, well, God did something. In spite of that guy. <laughs> that would be awful uh, to have that on your tombstone <laughs> as a pastor. That guy did everything he could to, to screw it up, but somehow God figured it out. I don't want that to be the way. My, my epitaph, right? We, we have to be careful about covetousness, the flame of covetousness, the flame of bad companionship, and the flame of complacency. Close your eyes for a second. I'm going to take a poll here for a second. How many people could identify with one of those three C's that they struggle with? Okay, thank God I'm not the only one. Praise the Lord that God is speaking. Now, God is, you have to take, what did we say this morning? We want to be challenged and we want to be encouraged. God is speaking to you. You're not just being convicted by a pastor who said something. Because if that were so, I wouldn't even be able to stand up here because I'm being convicted about things that I need to work on. We're all in process, right? So I want you to think about the things that are being revealed to your heart right now, and I want you to pray about it. God, not only do we get convicted in encourage us. Well, Holy Spirit, encourage me in this way. Help me. Give me Give me um, your power and ability to not just know the truth, but to act out the truth in my life. How can you take a step 
on Monday or even Sunday afternoon to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I want to pray for you. Lord, be with my brothers and sisters today, Lord. My friends. Lord, we're all in process, and that's why we're here to get a touch of the Holy Spirit today, to be convicted, to be challenged, but also to be encouraged that it's not just all bad news. Because if we know the truth, acting out the truth can set us free. So God, I want to thank you today for not just leaving us alone with the truth, but giving us your Holy Spirit, to power us through so that we can live out the truth. Lord, many of us are holding fires to our chest, thinking that it's not going to catch up to us. It's not going to burn our clothes. It's not going to bother us. We can play with this flame. I got this thing handled. And your word says, that's a lie. Maybe we've let ourselves be influenced by bad company. Maybe we've just been lazy and we haven't built in disciplines that cause us to see these things for what they are as dangerous to us. Maybe we've had our eyes focused not on the blessings that we have in you, but on what other people have. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to take this word and apply it to Monday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a victorious week this week, huh? God bless. We'll see you next week.